I believe that the bar for customer experience is lying on the ground globally. We expect a horrible customer experience. We expect it to be abysmal. You don't have to do that much to stand out. You don't have to do that much to be remarkable. That is worthy of somebody talking about or making a remark about. Sometimes just a little spring in your step, an extra smile, a moment of caring is enough to make that person say, that's the best experience I've had in years. How cool is that? What an amazing opportunity that every single one of us has, regardless of where you fall in the organization. This isn't just a message for business owners and CEOs. You can be a frontline employee who is brand new, who's only been at the organization for a week, a day. And you can say, my job is to create smiles. My job is to make people go, that is not what I was expecting today. My job is to make people feel better when they hang up the call than they did when they dialed the number or feel better when they walk out the door than they did when they came in the door or feel better when they open the package than before they opened the package whatever it may be what are we doing just to move the needle a little bit it doesn't have to be earth shattering Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. Today, my guest is Joey Coleman. Joey helps companies keep their customers. An award-winning speaker, he works with organizations around the world, ranging from small startups to major brands such as Deloitte, Hyatt Hotels, Zappos, and Whirlpool. His first 100 days methodology fuels the remarkable experiences his clients deliver and dramatically improves their profits. His Wall Street Journal number two best-selling book, Never Lose a Customer Again, offers strategies and tactics for turning one-time purchasers into lifelong customers. When not speaking to audiences around the globe, Joey enjoys spending time with his amazing wife and two young sons in the mountains of Colorado. And he is an Iowa native. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose, Joey. Thank you, Amy. I'm so excited to be on the show. And nice shout out to uh, the heritage in Iowa. I know you are a South Dakota native, so it's nice to have the Midwestern connection. Exactly, exactly. I love it. So, Joy, I also listened to your podcast, Experience This, and Thank I've Thank you for listening read... to the show. Yeah, it's a fun show. I appreciate it a lot, especially like all your references to Chewy.com because I am, <laughs> I am a customer of Chewy as well. <laughs> they, they have amazing customer experience, amazing customer experience. Uh, my co-host, Dan Gingas, is, uh, is the regular customer of our podcast. We, we, uh, I travel so much that pets is not really a, a wise choice uh, for us because we'd basically be paying the mortgage of a boarding facility for the pets. Um, and <laughs> I because I live in Colorado, we can't have small pets because they'd be snacks if they were outside. Uh, so the idea of paying a, a boarding facility's mortgage uh, just doesn't seem like the, quite the best fit right now, but Chewy does an amazing job and we are big fans of them. At the they, they really the do. I'm happy that we found them for our two dogs. Definitely. Nice. So Joey, I wanted to talk to you about your book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And the subtitle for that is Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. 
what is the significance of 100 days? So it's interesting, Amy, when I was uh, putting together the research for this book, and I've been speaking on this topic for some time, I came across uh, some research that was talking about the banking industry. And what it shared was that in the banking industry, 32% of new bank customers leave the bank before their one-year anniversary. And over half of those leave in the first 100 days. And I found this staggering. I was like, wait a second, bankers pay attention to the bottom line. They pay attention to numbers and things like churn and customer retention, or at least I thought they should. Not to mention that when you sign up for a new bank account, it's not a fun process. No, There's a lot isn't. of paper. You have to go in, you have to show them ID, and you probably have to show them, you know, a utility statement or, you know, or a, a bill from some utility company with a name that matches your ID, which is glorious. If you're in your mid-40s and you go by Joey, like I do, that creates all because that, as you might imagine, is not the legal name on my driver's license. So there are all kinds of challenges and you have to fill out paperwork. You have to get new checks, a new ATM debit card that they mail to you and then you have to pick the pin and you, you go through all of this rigmarole only to leave. 16% of those new customers leave in the first 100 days. And I found this staggering. And it led me on what has been an almost 20-year quest to figure out why do customers leave and when do they leave? And what we found is that across all industries, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will leave before the 100-day anniversary. That's so amazing. right at the beginning, right at the beginning when they become a customer. And we need to only think about our own experiences as customers to realize that those statistics hold true. How many times have you purchased something at the store maybe or gone to a restaurant and you've gone, yeah, I never want to go there again or I'm never gonna buy that product again, or wow, something didn't go well with this product and I'm not gonna get more of it. Or you buy an article of clothing and it hangs in your closet for a year with the tag still on it. For example, this hypothetically happens, right? So moral of the story is customers are making a decision about whether they wanna be a long-term customer of yours very early on in the relationship which gives businesses an opportunity to focus on that time period to lay the foundation for a lifelong relationship. So when do you start that 100 days? Is it at the time of the purchase? Is it at the time that a customer is starting to self-select that they need your product or service? It's a great question, Amy. I define all of the marketing and sales and whether they're trying to decide if they want to use you or not as day zero, okay? And that could, could be a microsecond or it could be months and months. For example, if you are at the uh, checkout counter at a gas station and you decide, oh, I might like a pack of gum, your decision-making process of getting some gum can be measured in seconds. You're going to look at the gum they have available, pick the flavor you want, hand it over, give them your money. If you, for example, like one of my clients, uh, you pave runways, okay? He lays the foundation for airport runways. The sales process for that contract usually is two and a half years. Wow. Right? So again, it depends on your business, depends on your industry, how long that is. That's why for me, day one of the first 100 days starts when you sign on the dotted line, you hand over your hard-earned cash, 
and you buy the product or sign up for the service. Now in an e-commerce world, that's when you click buy in the shopping cart. In a retail establishment, that's when you hand them your credit card and they hand you the item you just purchased. In more of a B2B setting or a service setting, it might be when you sign up with the person to mow your lawn, but they may not mow your lawn that day, right? You may be signing up for the summer or something like that. So I define day one as when, the when you shift from being a prospect to being a customer, you hand over money and a relationship officially begins. That's when the clock starts for the first 100 days. Right. So in your book, you made a statement about, we need to remember that the relationship is H to H, not just B to B or B to C. Yes. What's H to H? So I call H to H human to human. Okay. B2B is often used in a business context as referring to business to business customers and B2C is business to consumer, right? If you live in Washington, D.C. or spend any time like I did there, sometimes they even refer to B2G, business to government, people who are selling to the government. It's acronym madness, okay? At the end of the day, the person who's buying from you is a human. Right. Even if they represent a large corporation, they're a human. And what we know is that humans are beautifully messy. They're beautifully complex, but there are some things that all humans experience, regardless of what industry you're in, what part of the world you live in. And one of the things they experience is buyer's remorse. They make a purchase, and almost immediately after they make the purchase, they begin to doubt the purchase they just made. Every human being does this around the world in every purchase they make. Now, sometimes going back to my example of buying the gum, your, your hesitation or your buyer's remorse from that is from the time they hand you the pack of gum until you open the gum and you put it in your mouth. And then pretty much the buyer's remorse goes away because you've achieved the result you wanted when you purchased the gum. I wanted some fresh breath. I bought the gum. Chomp, chomp, chomp. I'm chewing the gum. I'm feeling good about it. Let's go back to that runway example. You sign the contract. Do they pave the runway in a day? No, not at all. It takes months to get the land flattened out, to get all of the concrete poured, to get the lights installed, the electric, all the pieces. It may be months or even a year before a plane actually lands on that runway and you start to get revenue from the runway you decided to build. So again, depending on what business you're in, that buyer's remorse stage can be really long. We've all heard of buyer's remorse. And yet when I ask business owners around the world, do you have a system and process in place in your business to address buyer's remorse? We might as well cue the tumbleweed because the majority of them don't, even though they've heard of buyer's remorse, they know it's real. They've experienced buyer's remorse. They're not doing anything to address the buyer's remorse their customers have, which is why to me, H to H is human to human is such a relevant piece of the conversation. Let's not get caught up in whether you sell to businesses or consumers. If you're selling to human beings, the principles that we outline in the, in the book, Never Lose a Customer Again, will apply. Exactly. And I think you're right. Too often, especially when you're B2B, I think, we tend to think, oh, well, I'm selling my service or my product to another business. And we forget that there's humans behind that, that business. Absolutely. There are humans that are making the purchase decision. There are humans cutting the check to you or the transfer to you. There are humans that are going to use your product at the business. There are humans that are going to sit in a meeting at the business that you're not going to be invited to, where they're going to talk about whether they're liking it or not. And there are humans that will then reach back out to you again to either buy more or to tell you they don't want any more. 
So there's humans all the way along the line, even though it's a quote unquote B2B sale. Right. Reminds me of, I watched You've Got Mail with my daughter. Oh, nice. And there's a scene in that it's Kathleen Kelly and Joe Fox, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. And they're talking about the fact that her store closed. And, you know, he starts to say, you know, it's just business. And she kind of stops him and says, but it's personal to me. Yes. You know, and, and he kind of just steps back from that and starts to realize how, in fact, personal it really is to her because of the difference in what her business is to what his, you know, mega bookstore was. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, it's a great movie, first of all. Second of all, I think it's really interesting. Anyone who uses that phrase, it's just business, only applies when they're on the upper hand of the deal. You're right. You never hear someone who's just lost the business go, well, it's just business. You don't. You only hear the person who got the better part of the deal saying it's just business, you know, or who was in control or who made the decision. I agree. I think what we are seeing across businesses around the world today is a backlash against what has been the operating behavior of business, especially in the last 30 years. We could probably say the last 50 years, but certainly the last 30 years where businesses become less personal, where businesses become more about treating customers like a number, where it's all become about scale. How can we grow? How can we get faster? How can we get bigger, right? Instead of how can we take care of the people that we got into business to actually serve? Exactly. I think you're right. That was the other thing I noticed in watching that movie. It was made in 1998. And, you know, that was kind of as all of those, those big, big stores were starting to really hit their stride. The business storyline of that movie was the Fox books opening everywhere. And that the little mom and pop shops like what Kathleen Kelly owned were being gobbled up as a result of it. And I think now what's interesting is you're starting to see that, that shift around of that people are more interested in wanting to go back to the locally owned stores, the ones that are supporting their local economy in a way that they feel is more tangible than what they feel like they get from the big stores, even though there is still support of their local economy in those big stores, because obviously they're employing those, you know, the local people, but it's different. It just feels different. Oh, it's totally different. And, you know, this stuff is messy and it's complex and I get it. I don't think that it should be only shop local or only shop big store. You know, that that's depending on where you live, that's just not going to work. You know, we started this by talking about the fact that I grew up in a small town in Iowa. There are things in the town in Iowa that I grew up in uh, that you could buy locally. There are other things that you had to order. Like they just didn't stock them locally. And so Amazon coming along and suddenly allowing you to order things, uh, you know, that maybe couldn't be found in the local store was really beneficial. The problem is, when you go into a sh- the shopping mall that used to be in my hometown, all of the flagship stores are gone. Yep. They're gone. And they're trying to figure out right now what to do with this giant piece of real estate where a lot of the retail is gone. And those jobs have been lost. And that's difficult. What I do find, though, is that not only is there this shift back to you know, smaller stores, but if we think about what is really driving that shift, it's more of a shift to personalization. 
more mm-hmm. of a shift yeah, to feeling is. like I matter. And, you know, I'll often say in my speech, I have the pleasure of, uh, I spend most of my days as a full-time professional speaker. So I travel around the world doing keynotes and breakouts and workshops for companies. And what I will often talk about in that setting is that we are dying for personal connection. We are dying to feel like we matter. And most businesses will say, we like to treat all of our customers as individuals. We care about you individually. And then what is the first thing they do when you become a customer? They assign you a customer number. Let's just stop and look at that alone. You're telling me I matter. You're telling me I'm not a number. And yet the first thing your business does is give me a number. Right. Now, I'm not saying that businesses shouldn't assign their customers numbers. I get that you need to manage things. You need to know who people are. There's sometimes a scenario where you may have two customers with the same name and you need a way to distinguish them. I totally get it. But if the customer feels like they're a number, I can count how many more days you're going to be in business. Exactly. It's one thing to assign them a number for your own internal tracking but to make them feel like a number is... Or remember their number? It's, yeah. How many times have you called in and they've said, great, what's your account number? I literally, what I say in those scenarios now is I'm like, if you were to offer me a million dollars to tell you my account number, you would be able to keep your million dollars. I have not memorized my account number for the cable company, the phone company, the utility company, the random company that I did business with five years ago that now wants to call up my account number. If you wanted to tie it to my phone number, okay, that I'll remember, right? But any other number beyond that, oh, we're having trouble. Exactly. So I think this leads in really nicely to the fact that you talk about customer experience is proactive and customer service is reactive. And I love that definition because it really, in my mind, gave me a very clear cut way to be able to differentiate between those two interactions that you will have with a customer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad it had that experience for you. And that's kind of how I was able to delineate them in my own mind. Because as somebody who speaks and writes in the space, people often say, oh, so you're a customer service speaker. And I'm like, "Eh, kind of, but I'm more of a customer experience speaker. And there's nothing wrong with customer service. There's nothing wrong with customer experience. But when we use those two word, those two phrases interchangeably, which we often do, it muddies the water. It makes things unclear. And people say, well, yeah, we, we have a customer service department. Great. So you've decided to budget staff and give attention to things going wrong. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great. We need that. But if that's all you're doing, What you're telling your customers is, we're here for you when something goes wrong, but otherwise don't talk to us. (laughs) And it's like, wait a second, guys. No, we want to be in communication. We want to be in interaction. We want to be able to reach out to you as the business to say, hey, we've got a new product. We've got a new service. If we condition our customers to believe that the only time there's an interaction is when we want to sell them something more or when they have a problem, that becomes a really limited relationship that is probably not a relationship anyone is too excited to be in, either the customer or the business. Instead, when we come from a more proactive place of the customer experience, how are we creating feelings in our customers? How are our customers perceiving their interactions with us? Now we can have a much more nuanced conversation, a much more exciting conversation, a conversation that takes the relationship to a different place and a different depth than if we're only worried about being reactive. 
Well, and I think the thing I appreciate it about it so much too is that I help my clients with understanding their branding. When you are trying to establish your brand in the minds of your customers, it's all about orchestrating what you want them to experience with you. And so with customer experience being that proactive mindset, it's anticipating all the places that you're going to communicate or have a touch point with that audience and what do you want to have happen and being able to train for the experience that you want delivered to those individuals that you're serving as opposed to not having that control when you're being reactive to service. I mean, yes, you can anticipate, okay, this might be a question or Somebody else asked this question, so here's how we want you to, you know, here's the best way to respond to it. So you can be a little bit proactive when it comes to service, but ultimately it starts in that reactive mode. Absolutely. And if, and if the opening volley is reactive, it's, rare, it's very difficult to get out of that type of reactionary response. Very right. True. And so, so many businesses are like, well, we need to write scripts for our employees. And I get it it's easier for some people to come up with words than for other people to come up with words. I get this, the human condition. But the second it feels like a script, everybody involved is hating the conversation. The person reading the script isn't having fun. The person listening to the script be read to them isn't having fun. This is not a recipe for long-term success. What we need to do is empower our employees and empower our teams to know what they should say but to add that dash of humanity back into it, to not just say, well, our policy says that you need to provide a receipt in order for us to consider a refund. Instead, they can say something like, you know, here's the deal. We actually had to decide as an organization that we needed a receipt. And the reason we decide, needed to decide that we needed a receipt is because there are a lot of places that sell this product. And what we actually found is that people were buying it at other places and returning to us. And economically, it just didn't make sense. So we decided to come up with what we hoped was the best way we could handle it for you. If you bought it from here and you have the receipt, great. We'll take the receipt. We'll give you your cash back. Everybody's happy. If you bought it from here and you don't have the receipt, guess what? We'll give you a store credit. I know it's not the same as your cash back, but you can use it on anything you want if you don't have the receipt. Which of those options would you like to take today? That feels very different exactly. than saying, I need your receipt in order to give you a refund. You know, And it's just bring a little bit of humanity to the conversation. And it's amazing. I think one of the things that I think most businesses miss is that the average customer is more than happy to meet you on the playing field of being a decent human being if that's where you go. Yes, there are exceptions. There are some customers who are obnoxious. And when you run into those folks, I get it. It's annoying. Deal with them and move on. Don't presume that they represent the bulk of your customers because all too often, businesses design policies around the problem children the customers that are the abusers and the worst ones, instead of giving their customers the benefit of the doubt and saying, yeah, we might lose out a little bit on some of the abusive ones, but those are so few and far between, we're okay taking the hit because we want to do what's right for our customers. Right. So what I'm hearing from you, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about this, is that 
there is a level of purpose and intentionality that goes into understanding that customer experience. And that, you know, by nature of the title of my podcast is obviously a very important thing to me. Would you agree that, that as an organization is planning out or looking at their experience mantras and experience models that they're going to put in place, that, that there is a level of importance to that intentionality in what they're doing? 100%. 100%, yes. Because, for, for a number of reasons. First and foremost, if we don't have intention behind our actions, they can easily be misunderstood. Number two, if we don't have intention behind our interactions, we default to the most common interactions or the base interactions, which usually are not us showing up as our best self. If we don't have intention behind our interactions, what usually means is that we're kind of haphazardly throwing things together. So any hope of our customers or the people we're interacting with having a consistent experience over time evaporates almost immediately. One of the things that I have loved best about sharing my message with the world is the number of business owners and employees who have come to me after reading my book or hearing one of my speeches and saying, Joey, I have a spring in my step again. I'm excited to go to work. I'm excited to do what I do. I had the chance a few weeks ago to speak to the top 10 ophthalmologists in Canada. So they brought together the top 10 ophthalmologists from all over Canada for a day-long workshop about how can we create a better patient experience. And one of them sent me an email the other day. So this was about two weeks ago that I did the presentation. They sent an email to me two days ago and said, Joey, I have to tell you, I am more excited about being a doctor than I've been in the last 10 years. And the reason I'm more excited is after surgery day the other day, on my way home, as you had recommended in our workshop, I had a call list of all the patients I had operated on. And I called all of them while I was driving home just to check in and see how they were feeling. Joey, for the first time in a decade, I connected with the people who I had performed surgery on because this person literally does 100 surgeries a day. Okay, it's cataract surgery. So it only takes a few minutes. They do 100 a day. They called 10 people. So only 10% of their customers, 10% of their patients. And it made them reconnect to why they went to medical school. It made them reconnect to why they became a surgeon. I've experienced this time and time again across all industries you can imagine. People who start thinking more proactively about the customer experience they're creating feel more excited to go to work. They feel more excited to serve their customers. The things that really were the driver for them getting into business in the first place or getting into this industry or starting this company or coming to work for this company. All of those reasons start flooding back when they connect to the humanity of the people they're serving. That's awesome. I've seen that a lot, having worked in, in hospitals and health systems for the bulk of my career. It, it's true when, when you can connect back with the people that you're serving in a healthcare space, especially it fills you up personally in a way that is difficult to achieve in other industries, I think. If you're selling widgets, I'm not sure that you're, you know, that you get that kind of personal fulfillment in the same way as what you do when you've talked to a family member whose child just had surgery or whose child is being, is going home after a long stay or, you know, a loved one has been in the hospital for a period of time and what you've done or the impact that you've had on their care has allowed them to be able to go home for a holiday. 
Absolutely. And I, I agree with you, Amy. In a, in a medical uh, scenario, it's easier, but sadly, it's more disconnected. I know. Right? So it's easier it to find it, but you've worked in that space. I know folks that have worked in that space. I've consulted in that space. It's harder to get. I would posit that the widget maker can have the same amount of connection though, because nine times out of 10, the widget maker is super excited about those widgets. They're True. super excited about that world. And there are people in the world that are just as excited as they are. And those are the ones you want to seek out as customers, right? Um, here's the deal. Not every customer interaction is going to be life-changing. That's just reality. I am under no false illusion that if we focus on customer experience, suddenly that will be the highlight of their life. No, no, no. But with one of my clients, they, they, we worked together and they came up with this uh, mantra, which I thought was really valuable. We want to be the best interaction they've had today. That's, That's it. That's amazing. We just want to be the best interaction you had today. With all the places you do business, with all the places you went around, you stopped on the way to work and you got some gas, you went and got your lunch, now you're back home and you have to stop at the grocery store to get some food, and then you've got a phone call with the cable company. We want to be the best interaction of your day. That's it. And what it did is it reduced the pressure on their employees to rock the world and instead said, can we use this little moment? these few minutes that we have together to create a meaningful interaction, to create something that feels special, to create something that brings a smile to the face of the person who is kind enough to do business with us. It changes the conversation. And I believe, and the reason I got into this is I believe that the bar for customer experience is lying on the ground globally. We expect a horrible customer experience. We expect it to be abysmal. You don't have to do that much to stand out. You don't have to do that much to be remarkable. That is worthy of somebody talking about or making a remark about. Sometimes just a little spring in your step, an extra smile, a moment of caring is enough to make that person say, that's the best experience I've had in years. How cool is that? What an amazing opportunity that every single one of us has, regardless of where you fall in the organization. This isn't just a message for business owners and CEOs. You can be a frontline employee who is brand new, who's only been at the organization for a week, a day. And you can say, my job is to create smiles. My job is to make people go, that is not what I was expecting today. My job is to make people feel better when they hang up the call than they did when they dialed the number or feel better when they walk out the door than they did when they came in the door or feel better when they open the package than before they opened the package, whatever it may be. What are we doing just to move the needle a little bit? It doesn't have to be earth shattering. Right. Yeah. When you were saying that, it reminded me of the ad agency that we worked with for years when I was still at the hospital. The, the woman who answered the phone was fabulous. She just was, she was always happy. You could tell that she had a huge smile on her face when she answered the phone. She would remember little things about each of us that would call, you know, I mean, I don't know how many clients they ever, you know, that they had at any given time, but each client probably had a good 10 or 15 different people that might be, might be calling in to talk to somebody at the agency. And she would remember things about us. Like when I had my daughter, she sent me a present she, that we still, it's an advent calendar that we hang outside my daughter's door every, every year. And I love it. 
she made that experience of having to call and talk to the agency fun. I love it. I love it. Well, if I may, can I ask a couple of questions about this? Because it'll kind yeah. of prove a point about how presents work. Um, did the advent calendar have the logo of the ad agency on it? No. No, not at all. Um, how long ago did you receive this? Well, my daughter's 13. She's 13. So 13 years ago. And you use it every Christmas, every yep. holiday, every advent, right? Yep. So here's the crazy thing, folks. When you give a gift to your customer with your logo on it, it's not a gift. It's a marketing tool. I'm not opposed to giving marketing swag or tchotchkes or promotional products. I get it. What I am opposed to is you thinking that that's a gift for your customer. It's not. It's a gift for you. Same holds true for a discount on a future purchase. That's not a gift for them. That's a coupon. And if at any point you doubt the validity of what I'm saying, since you mentioned Advent, let's talk about Christmas. Imagine Christmas morning. There's a big box under the Christmas tree and you look at the tag and it's to you and it's from your grandma and you open it and it's a sweater with her name on it. You love your Nana and you are not wearing a sweater with her name on it. Okay. So why do we think as organizations that if we give swag out with our company logo on it, or even worse, our tagline or our marketing message, that people want to wear that. They don't want to be a walking billboard for you. Give them something personal, give them something meaningful. And every time they use it, they will think of you. It's 13 years later. Amy hasn't done business, I imagine, with that ad agency in some time. And yet, every time you hang it, you think of them. And more specifically, you think of the receptionist, not the firm, the receptionist who took a life milestone for you, the birth of your daughter, and memorialized it with a gift that showed they appreciated you. And they appreciated where you were in your life. And they gave you something that's special and it's meaningful. This isn't rocket science, folks. No. And I'll take it one step further. I almost always take a picture of my daughter next to it, post it on Facebook, and tag that receptionist on it and thank her again for that gift. And friends, that is the, the example of a gift that keeps on giving. Okay? A gift that the return on investment is far beyond the amount of money spent on the advent calendar, right? So here's the thing. When we think about the experiences we're creating for our customers, it doesn't always have to be about, well, how will this lead to more business? It can just be about, how can I create a meaningful moment? How can I create an interaction? Now, here's the thing. Had you used the advent calendar once and never again, it still would have been a lovely gift, right? But because you gave something that could be used again and again and is seasonal in nature, Every time you're involved with it, you think of that receptionist. Now, here's the crazy thing. And I don't know if this applied to the receptionist who worked at this ad agency in the example. But in most organizations, do you know who the lowest paid employee is? The receptionist. The person who's responsible for the first interaction. The person who you're going to have an interaction with every time you interact with the organization is the lowest paid employee. Now, am I saying that the receptionist should be paid as much as the CEO? Well, not necessarily, but it'd be an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, now, wouldn't, it would, it? wouldn't it? But the moral of the story here is, are you making sure that your employees are properly compensated for the impact they can have on your business? And are you making sure that your employees understand what a great experience is? Here's something that um, a lot of companies struggle with. 
I talk to a lot of business owners and they say, oh, Joey, if I can only get my employees to care as much about the customers as I do. I say, oh, great. So let's have a conversation about that. And they're like, oh, yes, exactly. What are you, he's going to give me some tips, some ideas, some strategies. I'm like, perfect. So let's think about your employees. Do you know all of your employees' spouses' names? Uh, no, not really. Do you know if your employees have children? No, not, some, some of them, yes. Do you, know if they, do you know all of them? How many children they have, what their ages are, what their names are? Well, no. Do you know where they like to go on vacation? No. Do you know what they do on the weekends? When they're not in your office, do you know what they're doing, what they like to do? Well, not really. Like, how can you expect your employees to create a remarkable experience for your customers if you're not creating a remarkable experience for your employees? Yeah, it works both ways. And suddenly the light bulb goes off. And they realize it is impossible to ask our employees to deliver a remarkable customer experience if they don't know what a remarkable experience is. And as we've already said, the bar for customer experience on the planet is lying on the ground. So if you're not going to show them, how can you expect them to deliver one? Exactly. I love the example in your book of the Ritz-Carlton. I've used that in a couple of presentations. And I can just see the light bulbs going on in people's minds of, well, of course, if I've never stayed in a Ritz-Carlton, how can I possibly relate with what it means to deliver a Ritz-Carlton experience? Exactly, exactly. And for folks who haven't had a chance to read the book, the premise here is I was working with a CEO and they said, we want our employees to deliver first-class Ritz-Carlton white glove service. I said, okay. And he's like, no, Joey, you got to understand, first-class Ritz-Carlton white glove service. I said, okay. So I met with the entire company, 100 employees. I said, I have a couple questions before we start our workshop. Raise your hand if you've ever flown first class. The CEO proudly raised his hand. The head of sales proudly raised his hand. The CFO raised her hand. I said, great. No one else raised their hand. I said, second question. How many of you have ever stayed at the Ritz-Carlton? The CEO proudly raised his hand. The head of sales raised his hand. Or the head of sales uh, raised his hand. The CFO put her hand down and she was like, are you kidding me? Do you know how expensive it is there? I've never stayed there. I said, one last question. How many of you have ever eaten a meal where the staff delivering the meal to your table was wearing white gloves? Even the CEO and the head of sales put their hands down. I said, we can't expect people to deliver a first-class Ritz-Carlton white-gloved experience if they've never had that experience. So folks listening, if you have employees and you're talking to them about delivering first-class service, have they ever flown first-class? If you're asking them to deliver Ritz-Carlton service, have they ever spent the night in the Ritz-Carlton? If the answer to those questions is no, you can't expect them to deliver. You have to actually do those things for them. You can't empathize with, with a scenario that you've never been in. And I think, you know, one of the things for me that has really kind of sharpened my awareness to empathy is... We've established I worked in healthcare for a number of years. My mother, five years ago, six, five years ago, was diagnosed with lung cancer. She came here um, and stayed with me for three and a half months and had treatment at the organization that I used to work for. And it was a very eye-opening experience for me in a number of ways. But, but coming out of it on the other side, what I now realize is that there's a level of empathy that you, you just have when you work in a hospital because you know that somebody is in a painful situation and you can equate to being in a painful or an uncomfortable situation with something that you've been in, you know, but 
until you've walked in the shoes of someone who's having a cancer experience, you cannot fully understand what that experience is like. The same as you cannot fully understand what it's like to have a child who's in uh, an ICU or in a PICU without having been there in some capacity yourself. And I think we forget that too often. We just assume, oh, I've, I've been there. I've stayed in a hotel, so therefore I know what it's like to stay in a hotel. Or I've bought a car, so therefore I know what it's like to buy a car. Well, no, it's different. Absolutely, it's different. And it's why I think every business needs to make sure that their employees are actually their customers as well. So here's what I mean by that. Uh, if you run a cable company, do all of your employees get cable from you? Do they get it for free or do they have to pay for it? Do they have to schedule service calls with your organization or do they get special treatment because they're employees? Stop and look at, do your customers actually have the same experiences? And your example of buying a car, there's a real difference between buying your first car and buying your fifth car or buying the car that took the last dollars you had out of the bank account or buying the car that took some dollars out of the bank account, but there were still dollars in the bank account after you bought it. You know, we often pretend that we really understand what our customers are going through when the reality is we have no clue. We have no clue. We haven't experienced it. We haven't uh, lived it. We haven't really taken the time to connect with them on an emotional level. We haven't asked the questions that dive deeper. So why do you want to buy this? How are you going to use it? What's the story behind this story? Years ago, and I don't know if I can tell this story without get tearing up, so I want to preface that for any of you. Grab a box of Kleenex maybe if you need one. Years ago, I had the chance to do some work with Zappos, the shoe company. I was out at headquarters, and one of my favorite things to do at headquarters was to go into the call center and listen to calls because Zappos customer service is absolutely world-class. And the people that call in, stop and think about this. This is a company that sells shoes online. There's some people who will call in to buy their shoes. Even though they could buy them online, they will call the number to buy their shoes. And I was listening in. So I'm not the person talking. I'm just listening into the call. And a woman calls in and she says, I need to buy some dress shoes for my son and for my daughter. And the representative says, oh, okay, great. Um, uh, what, what color were you thinking? And she was like, black. And she says, oh, is everybody getting ready to go to a wedding? Because you have one of two choices in this scenario, right? And you're hoping it's the wedding. And the woman on the call says, no, actually, we're going to a funeral. And the person of the call center rep says, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And the woman on the other end breaks down. And she says, yeah, my husband died. Now, the rep is crying. I'm crying. The woman on the call is crying. And the call center rep is like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she says, let's, let's get these shoes so we can get this crossed off the list because I'm sure you have a lot of things you're trying to get accomplished today. And she very effectively and efficiently made sure she got the shoes, she got them ordered, she got them sent out. She hangs up the call. And she opens a browser on her website. And she proceeds to find out the name of the funeral home and order a gigantic bouquet of flowers from Zappos. She also proceeds to credit back the cost of the shoes to the credit card that had just been run for the shoes, but make sure the order still goes out. 
The fact of the matter is when we connect with our customers in a human way, our lives get better. Not only does our business get better, but our lives get better because we have the chance to express what I think is the core essence of humanity, which is our ability to empathize. If you talk to the researchers in Silicon Valley who are doing research on artificial intelligence, they're super excited about what the future holds. There's one area that they all agree that they're not sure how they're gonna be able to teach the AI how to do it, and that is empathy. It is the one thing that humans have that no one else on the planet has, and we can't teach computers to do it. So here's the question, are we using it? Are we truly empathizing with our customers? Are we trying to understand, and to your point, Amy, walk in their shoes to actually experience what they're going through? When we start doing this, life gets better. Our businesses get better. Everything gets better. When I think, well, first, thank you for sharing that story. It was very powerful. And the whole time I was that I was listening to you too, I was thinking about the other part of that is that when we can't have the true ability to be able to walk in somebody's shoes, we have to be able to be comfortable in our own vulnerability to be able to say, I can't relate exactly to what you're going through, but I know this much. This is how I can help you. And please tell me more of how I can be of better service to you. Yeah, it's okay if you haven't had that experience, but have the courage to acknowledge that and to walk into the conversation from a place of curiosity, to walk into the conversation from a place of, I am so sorry. I have no idea what you must be going through right now. And I am so sorry that you are going through what you're doing. Is there anything I can do to help? And sometimes that's all the person needs to hear. They don't actually need you to do anything. They just need to feel that you give a damn, that exactly. you care, that they matter. And here's the thing, folks. This isn't just when you're ordering shoes for a funeral. Okay. This is every interaction every day. I know very few people that get excited about having to make a call to correct something on a bill that they've received. And if you're on the receiving end of those calls, you're probably not excited about receiving them either. But there's an opportunity for everyone. There's an opportunity for them when they're saying, I'm calling in because there's something on my bill that's wrong. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine how frustrated you are to be needing to spend time doing that today. Let me see what I can do to help. Tell me what's going on. That alone will shift the conversation. Exactly. The person will suddenly go, oh, wait a second. I, they, 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 they actually might want to help me. This is interesting. Now we're into it. And now we're having a human-to-human -human interaction, not a business-to-customer interaction. Right. Thank you so much for this fabulous conversation, Joey. I appreciate it very much. How can my listeners find you or follow you in terms of getting to know more about you? Oh, Amy, I appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. And, and thanks to everybody who is listening. I, I know this isn't necessarily, you know, the conversation ended up in going in some directions that uh, I think hopefully Amy and I feel uh, provided a little value for you. And, and if nothing else, gave you a little different way to think about the interactions you have, not only with your customers, but as a customer, right? What can you do as a customer to raise the bar 
on the experiences you're having with businesses by just giving everybody the opportunity to be them full, their full self. Giving people the opportunity. I, you know, I uh, happened to be at a restaurant. I was driving cross country yesterday and uh, stopped at a fast food restaurant. And we went in to order because, you know, when you're on a long road trip, it's sometimes kind of nice to go inside instead of do the drive through. And we went in to order and the young gal behind the counter came up and there's a long line of people in front of me. And they all went through. And then I was the first one in the line. I was like, how are you doing today? And she was stunned. She, she looked up from the screen and was like, uh, it's actually been a little bit crazy today. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I imagine it's been a little bit overwhelming. There's a lot of people in line ahead of me, a lot of people behind me. But I just wanted you to know, you're doing a great job today. And she looked at me as if I had given her the greatest gift in the world. Now, folks, I'm not sharing this story to say, oh, look how awesome and amazing I am. That's not the purpose of me sharing this. The purpose of me sharing this is to say that we have interactions every single day where we can make a difference. We have interactions every day where if we're willing to slow down for five seconds, we can make an impact on a fellow human being. So I really appreciate the opportunity to share some stories. Amy, I appreciate being on your show. Folks, if you're interested in learning more, would love to have you be part of this conversation. My goal is to change the experience that customers are having around the planet. Would love to have you be part of the cause. There's a couple ways to do that. One, check out my book, Never Lose a Customer Again. You can get it on Amazon if you've enjoyed listening to me. There's an audio version on Audible where I narrate the story to you. So if you like listening to my voice on Amy's podcast, you can listen to me read you the whole book. Um, I will tell you, and this is not me shilling the book and or pitching the book. In the book, I, I say that if you buy the book and you read the book and you don't get value from it, not only can you return it to Amazon or Audible or whoever, but you can message me personally. My email is in the book and request a refund. And I will happily give you a refund. No questions asked. We're all set and done. Um, it'd be my pleasure uh, because I think you're going to find something in there that you can apply regardless of what kind of industry or where you are in business. Um, for free tools and resources, come to my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, Joey, like a three-year-old you probably know somewhere. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation. joeycoleman.com. There's videos there. There's blog posts there. Uh, we've got a podcast, The Experience This Show, which is all about customer experience that I co-host with my good buddy, Dan Gingas, and would love to have you part of the conversation and appreciate you listening into the conversation I had with Amy today. So thanks so much. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate it. I'll include the links to all of those things in my show notes. And I look forward to getting some comments back on how we can improve the customer experience that we offer and how can you do something to make someone else's day like what Joey did to that, that person working at a fast food restaurant. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening. I mean, we didn't even talk about the eight steps that That's you okay. have. I mean, you mentioned a few of them here and there, but we didn't even get to that. So That's all right. We talked um, about the important stuff as far as we I'm did. concerned. We did. So.